Welcome back to Season 2 of That's So Second Millennium, the Catholic Science Podcast, where we look forward to the new synthesis in the new millennium between faith, philosophy, and science. Welcome to Episode 89 of That's So Second Millennium. This is Paul, and once again, I am hurting for Bill. Uh, gosh, I hope we make connections in the next week. <clears throat> get a get a uh, interview episode, or at least a conversation episode uh, between the two of us out there. Today, I'm just going to take a few minutes and sort of warm up to the conversation that I hope Bill and I get to have this coming week. So, I floated this idea to Bill. It's been uh, rattling in my mind for quite a while. To think about... And it's, you know, multiple episodes worth of content, but to think about, you know, as we're starting a new decade, you know, we don't get to start a new millennium just every time we want to, but this is uh, the end of a decade for sure. And we're facing in this country, a presidential election, as well as, you know, the idea that we're in 2020, 2020, that sounds awfully far into the future, doesn't it? Those of us born in the 20th century spent some time in the 20th century. It's like, how, how can this be? Um, when I would read speculations about planetary missions going on, maybe in, you know, hopefully we'll get it done by 2020 or else, for example, Pluto might be too far away. Well, fortunately, we did get that done, it seems like. We got New Horizons off the ground. That's a good thing. Um, <laughs> but in any case, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, what, what are we going to, you know, and of course I look at my own life and, you know, my own, Every, every one of our individual lives is a microcosm of the, uh, of the whole. And so, what am I doing with my own life that, you know, what, what am I going to do in the coming decade of my own life? You know, I turned 40 this year. Of course, I'm thinking about that sort of, uh, boundary thing as well. Um, but, you know, from the perspective of a podcast, what could we do? What, what do we, as a church, as an American church, as Americans per se, how should we spend this next decade? You know, what are things rattling around? I, you know, it's one of those things that can be dangerous because it's a conversation that can get too grandiose. And Lord knows, I have spent far too much of my life not managing my own life uh, in any way worthy of the name and, you know, fully in the unmanageability that the first step of the 12 steps talks about, you know, came to admitted that we were powerless over fill-in-the-blank, whatever your addiction is, and that our lives were unmanageable, that our lives had become unmanageable while my life, my life was never manageable, I can tell you that. <clears throat> but, you know, nevertheless, there's also, you know, we live in an era where representative democracy is the norm. And in every era, human beings have a political, you know, every every human being has a political role to play in their own system, no matter how small, no matter how oppressed they are. Um, and we're certainly not in that situation. We have you know, we have some amount of say, and we should probably, my very small uh, opinion, use it a little better. I'm probably it's probably not a really controversial uh, <laughs> position to take at this point. That uh, those of us in the United States of America, let alone the West as a whole, let alone democracies as a whole, should probably uh, look at each other and say, are we using our votes all that well? Are we using our other forms of political uh, political influence as well as we could? How could we use them better? I mean, that's always a question, right? How could we use them better? 
So, you know, so let's, let's, I'm just going to throw a few of those out there before I wrap up. I've you know, been on a retreat and I am beyond exhausted. I have, I have gone from the beginning of August to today, not doing, not taking care of myself in the way that I should, which includes deliberately not just taking time to sleep, but also just winding down in the afternoon. I mean, I, I have to, I have to face my own life at this point, at this particular point as someone who is somewhere between an invalid who needs to convalesce and someone who is trying to do immensely hard work and therefore in the times when he's not doing that hard work and should, you know, budget the amount of hard work that he tries to do, he should be bloody while sleeping and resting and doing things to, uh, to recover himself. And I have, well, that's, I guess that's something I'm learning at this season of life is what, what I have to do in order to do that. So in any case, um, so I'll just throw a few ideas out there in terms of, Gosh, I'll start with this at random. Thinking of the church, thinking of the church in the United States, of course, it's, you know, across the developed world, us postmodern, you know, people who are addicted to comfort and certainly can't think of, can't take seriously the idea of having a life without um, sexual gratification, you know, uh, vocations to the celibate, you know, the, the celibate vocations. The number of people willing to embrace celibate vocations has cratered, and uh, it looks, you know, I don't, I wonder how many people really allow themselves to look at what the numbers are going to look like before they get better. Um, what are we going to do about that? And of course, thinking about in my particular corner of the universe, you know, here in southeast Indiana, and thinking about all of the little rural parishes that have been closed. And of course, in the Catholic Church, we run things via centralized diocese. And yet, we do have our own influence. And I wonder, you know, all the trauma and all the griping, which there's unquestionably a lot of griping, um, and I have to think there's some amount of, you know, using the closure of parishes as an excuse to, well, I mean, as your point of departure out of the Catholic Church, um, I don't know. Somebody has to be taking statistics on that. And you think about what could we do, what could we do as the rest of us Catholics, as the laity, you know, if we are in such a parish, in such a, you know, in St. Morris, Indiana, or something like that. Um, and this is just, I don't know, I don't have the answers, but I think about it a lot, and I, you know, I have a podcast, so I suppose I'll share them with you and, you know, again, invite anyone who would like to talk back to me to visit the website and get in contact with us. I would love to have this discussion. Of course, I'll be looking for other places to have this discussion as well. But, you know, make a proposal. You know, look at your other parishioners. We don't want this church to close. Our ancestors built this church in the, you know, 1850s, let us say. Um, they got off the boat from Germany. They wanted a better life for themselves. They came to this country where there was, you know, <laughs> representative democracy, like we were just talking about, as opposed to a Kaiser or land nobility and whatever else was, you know, in the way of people making decisions for themselves. And they came here and they made decisions for themselves and they got themselves a homestead and they built a farm and, or they moved to town and they built a shop and practiced a trade and they built themselves a church. And somehow or another, they finagled the priest, probably because one of their sons or several of their sons went off to seminary. Um, and, and some of them were smart enough and uh, dedicated enough to stick. Uh, so what do we do now? You know, we don't have enough priests to go around. Okay, that's the problem. 
but you know, at least you know, that's. I think there. Are, I have heard. Um, you know, people say that they're worried about there being too many permanent deacons, and that that's somehow going to be taking the place of priests. And I just wonder if that's not completely, completely backward. Um, I think the gulf between priests and the people in the pew, I mean, to me, just thinking about it from my own emotional perspective and thinking about my perspective of it on it as a child, not so much how it is today, but, you know, I think of pre, you know, I felt that priests were so far away and they were so alien and living such a different life that I couldn't comprehend. And, the thing about a deacon is that they are, they're living a life that's somewhere in between. This is, you know, again, this is what it seems to me. Um, and that that's a very valuable thing, you know, that they've gone through formation. They can talk about it. Um, you know, I would want, gosh, every parish in the archdiocese of Indianapolis to have seven deacons, like the, uh, like the, like the first class that the, uh, the apostles ordained. Um, I think that would be an excellent, beautiful thing for as many parishes to have as many deacons as practical. And, you know, so parishes that are currently in this season of the church lacking in priests, like, you know, okay, deacons can't take the place of priests. They can't. We know that. Um, We're going to have to cycle the priests around that we have. And yet the deacons can help. And then, of course, you know, we look at ourselves and what do we as laity who aren't ordained in any way going to do, you know, to take, you know, to take custody of our own parish, you know, make a proposal, you know, get together, write a letter to the archbishop, you know, send a deputation, get three of us together and say, we want this parish one way or another to continue to exist. And, you know, I know that you're limited in the number of priests and we're sorry and that we haven't sent any more sons to the seminary. For that matter, we're sorry we haven't we have we haven't sent any more sons or daughters to be lay religious, to be you know female, to be nuns, to be religious brothers, um, and doing their part to pray for vocations among all of the other things that religious should pray for. Um, but we're going we want to keep this building together, and we want to keep this community together. And so, you know, as often as you're willing to send a priest, as long as often as you're able, we're going to make sure that there's a building here for them to come to, and we're going to make sure that there's a community here for them to come to. And we're going to offer at least this many of us, you know, men as elders to come and, you know, get themselves prepared and become deacons. You know, meet, meet in the middle and take advantage, take responsibility for ourselves. I mean, that's the, you know, that's the accusation leveled against the Catholic Church. And, you know, if we let that be true, well, then that is a pretty shitty thing, to be perfectly honest. Um, that's not how Catholicism has to be. It's a perversion of it when it is, is frankly my argument. So that's a sampling. Interested to see where that conversation with Bill would go. Interested to see where that conversation with anyone would go. Um, I think for a moment about, you know, what's the United States position in the world? Um, you know, so we think about things like immigration or what we're going to do about China or Russia for that matter, but China in particular, you know, so we're a country of 300 million people in a world of what, six and a half, seven billion people at this point. So a non-negligible share, but not that big. 
And I mean, you know, I don't know about anyone else, but I, you know, scratch my head and think that as a Catholic, what is my hope for the world in the long term is that there aren't these huge disparities between and not because we've knocked the, you know, standard of living and life expectancy and whatnot in the developed world down, but that we've, you know, that the life expectancy and economic expectancy and so forth of people elsewhere in the world has gone up. Not hopefully that they're living, you know, all of the current, by any means, all of the current ingredients of the Western lifestyle, including all of our sprawl and excessive energy consumption and resource consumption and whatnot. Um, and certainly the poor ways in which we dispose of our waste. Hopefully we'll do something different than that. Hopefully we'll all do something different than that. But nevertheless, we want everybody to have, you know, the chance to have enough food to eat and care for when they get sick and, you know, advice on how to live long and prosperous lives, certainly physically healthy lives. We all want that, right? I mean, isn't that, don't we want that in the long term? I mean, don't we want in the long term, for everybody in Zimbabwe or Guatemala or Honduras or all of these places where terrible things are going on, Venezuela, Venezuela, um, all the parts of Mexico, don't isn't that what we certainly as Christians want for everyone? I mean, even if we're not Christians, wouldn't we at least sort of nod and say, well, yeah, that would be better. I mean, and it would be better, wouldn't it? If there weren't these huge disparities... What kind of immigration problem would we have? We wouldn't have one. But in a world like that, okay, so if there's 7 billion, or maybe it'll be 10 or 20 billion by that point, you know, the planet, if we, if we live our lives appropriately, I bet the planet could hold 20 billion people. Um, you know, the United States with, well, we have the same proportion now as, then as we do now, will be a, small player, relatively speaking, you know, will be just one of many in this, you know, large world. And if China has the share that it has, it will be a, pro a more prominent player. For that matter, so will India. So what what is the long term? What should we do as a country? And what should we do as individuals? And this is a huge question that, you know, I'm not about to try to answer, but to think about you know, I would picture, I would think that our long-term strategy should be, all right, here we are in the Americas, and the Americas, you know, do have these beautiful oceans on either side of them. And, you know, the old world, well, I mean, the old world is going to have to sort itself out. Uh, in the long run, we're not going to be able to continue meddling in all of the things that we feel is our obligation to meddle in. Um and against that day when the Americas are, you know, simply a proportional by population influence to the rest of the world, we should probably all try to all try to band together the best that we can. And we have a lot of advantages. I mean, it's very sad that all of the, you know, the, I mean, it's, it's tremendously sad. It's one of the great human tragedies that so many Native Americans died during the course of the 16th, 17th, 18th centuries, 19th on into the 20th, um, and within their languages with them. But, you know, making the best of the situation that we have, you don't need to learn many languages to have the run of the Americas. You can learn Spanish, and English, and Portuguese, and that's not that different. That's not that bad. And some French. I mean, and then where can you not go? 
Is there anywhere they speak Dutch? Is there a Dutch Guyana still? Do they actually speak Dutch there? I mean, the, the French they speak in Haiti is a little tricky, but, I mean, seriously, we have advantages here. And, you know, while I don't exactly want to throw the obligation on school systems that are struggling, of which there are a lot in America, in the United States, boy, if you have, if you're affluent, if you're at all affluent, teach your kids Spanish. Just do it. I mean, seriously. I mean, and if you don't, and if you're not doing it because you care about people in Latin America, do it because it'll let you have the run of the continent. You'll be able to go places on two continents and not be fleeced by the locals. I mean, just think about that, right? There's a lot of places to see. And a lot of better climates, especially here in December, I'm thinking. I would rather be in Colombia right now. I sure would. I was talking to somebody in Colombia earlier today. Um... Yeah, so, okay, so that's a little, uh, that's, that's a little erratic and over the, uh, over the top, a little odd, but, uh, yeah, that's just what I'm thinking about today. I mean, like I said, I hope to talk to Bill about it and we'll, uh, we'll see if we can get somewhere. It's a little, uh, it's not directly related to faith and science per se, but, you know, it's, it's, economics is in there and, uh, political science, that's, that's legitimately a thing. It's worth talking about. It's worth thinking about for the future. Because, you know, critical thinking, I mean, ultimately, that's the spirit of science. That's what, uh, that's the great human tendency that we need in order to live our lives better that science provides to us. Or at least, I mean, it doesn't provide it to us, but it needs it. And it's a great example of what critical thinking can do for you. It can take you an awfully long way. So with that, yeah, that's it for the week. And uh, that managed to go to 18 minutes. That's amazing. So I hope you enjoyed it some, and I would love to hear back from you. In any case, uh, God bless. Have a great Advent and a beautiful... Uh, we'll probably celebrate the Feast of the Immaculate Conception tomorrow rather than tonight, you know, rather than today, Sunday, when I'm celebrating it. So think about that. Think about Mary. Think about her life. Um, and try to think about some of the details we don't necessarily read over and over again in the scriptures. How did she get to where she was? Um, read, read a little bit about uh, what we at least speculate about her life, what the extra-canonical tradition is of, about uh, Mary's life, you know, growing up with Joe Kamenan and being left at the temple, just like, you know, Samson or Samuel, somewhat like Samson and just like Samuel. Think about how strange that must have been, how much, uh, how much she had to trust in God in a situation where, you know, in the best contemporary, you know, feminist thinking, she was probably in a position where she could have been taken advantage of and, uh, you know, in any case, was certainly swimming against the tide. So, yeah. All right. Well, I'll let you go and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. If you enjoyed this episode or it made you think, please subscribe to That So Second Millennium via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, or your podcast service of choice.